On today's episode, we've got an Amazon seller who has one of the top wine glasses on Amazon, and he's gonna talk about the importance of packaging, plus some advanced keyword research and listing optimization tactics that have helped him get to the top. How cool is that? Pretty cool, I think. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Serious Sellers Podcast by Helium 10. I am your host, Bradley Sutton, and this is the show that's a completely BS-free, unscripted, and unrehearsed organic conversation about serious strategies for serious sellers of any level in the Amazon world, and we've got the Pope who has joined us. Not the Pope, Hello. but Stephen Pope. <laughs> Steve, how's it going, man? Good. I'm driving my, my Pope mobile right now, just for you. Bulletproof. Brandon. There we go. Anyways, we're, I don't even know. Uh, I, I do know, but I just forgot it. Where, what state are you in? I'm in the Atlanta, Georgia area. Okay. All right. Atlanta, Georgia. Did it ever get cold there in the last few weeks like it did in other parts of the country? No, like the Southeast was the one spot that, that stayed warm. Um, so yeah, God bless the people of Texas right now. It's <laughs> like what you guys just went through is Hell freezing over. Yeah, right. Uh, once in a once in a decade storm. My father's a weatherman, so he was he was giving us the play by play. I had one of my employees in Texas. We're all remote. All all fifty of our employees are remote. So sometimes we get hit in different locations, and it's like, okay, some people are in the Philippines, and you know, there's a hurricane, and we lose them, and and then we got people in Pakistan, Turkey, Romania, all over the northeast of the United States. Even we we have a new account director up in Canada, and we got California. Cool, cool. Now, let me just ask you, uh, you were living in, or you're living now in, in Atlanta, but was that you were born and raised? I grew up in Utah, uh, Weber State Wildcats. Here we go. Oh, Nobody's ever okay. heard of them. Okay. Uh, except the one time they make the NCAA tournament and give uh, Gonzaga a run for their money every once every five or 10 years. There you go. <laughs> there you go. All right. Yeah. I always try and do the, um, the uh, mascots of, of different schools. Uh, you know, sometimes I'll have some so, you know, which is Wichita state and then they'll be shocked. It's the shockers, you know, I'm like, I, Hey, you know, yeah, we, we I've, I've been there for a debate tournament. So, okay, yeah. cool. So then growing up over there, like what, what was your you know ambition when you're like 10 years old? Like, you know, did you know you're going to be an entrepreneur? I mean, obviously you didn't know you're going to sell on Amazon cause that didn't exist back then, didn't but, exist. Uh, yeah. but like, you know, did you want to be a doctor? Did you want to be an airplane pilot? So I, I don't think I knew as a kid. So like my father was a, a television weatherman and I wanted to follow in his footsteps somewhat. So I became a television reporter growing up. Okay. Um, but the, but the growing first up, thing I ever, as, said, as in yeah. you were in high school and you were a television reporter. Well, I think, I think by my senior year in, in uh, high school, I'd, I'd figured it out. I was going to go get a communications degree, electronic media and become a TV reporter. Right. So this was, so I, I went to college for that. Uh, and I graduated in 08 from Weber state and, and that was, you know, I got my, I got my job as a TV reporter right out of that, right out the gate. Okay. And, and, uh, that was, I was the last person hired at my TV station before it went under. And so, oh, that sucks. so for two years, for two years, I was the last person hired there. So, um, and, and it was really fun being a television reporter, loved being a reporter. Did, did you have a catchphrase like boom goes the dynamite or anything like that? Oh my God. So, so it's funny you say that. I'm pretty sure the boom goes the dynamite guy is from Weaver State. <laughs> you know what? That's right. That that clip I think was from uh, now that you yes. mentioned it. Yeah, and and so I was uh, like one or one and a half errors after that guy, um, and uh, 
and 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 after me there was there was the other Weber steak guy that went viral with him him cooking uh ramen noodles and and other sh- short short noodle dishes that nobody thought was epic but he took it really seriously so so yeah there's there's quite a few viral videos of people doing Weber state news on the internet interesting so then what did um you know when, when that kind of you know your your what you thought you're going to end up doing kind of went away, like what was your next job? I mean, cause, uh, that's a pretty big transition I imagine into something completely different. Yeah. Uh, I, when I was in Wisconsin in the middle of a blizzard, speaking of blizzards, right. Or big Texas weather events, um, Madison, Wisconsin went through its own version of that. And I was live at 10 PM at night in the middle of the largest blizzard in a decade. And the cameraman, you know, gave me the cue. I missed it. I was on the air with, you know, looking like an idiot. Um, You could barely even see me. The snow was that bad. Everybody else was home in their pajamas and I was live on television. So I missed my cue. My hair froze over all that fun jazz. And so that was the moment I said, you know what? I want to do something different with my life. And I think that's when I started my entrepreneurial um, aspirations. Now, it, it was quite the journey to get from there to where I am. Uh, I, you know, I picked up an MBA, I worked for four failed startups, uh, on the corporate side and I've sold everything from women's plus size clothing, higher education, kitchen equipment, and even gold and silver coins. And so, uh, the first item I ever sold online was on eBay as a, as a 12 year old kid, I sold a sliver queen for the nerds out there. That's a stronghold edition sliver queen on, on eBay. Never heard of it. <laughs> Well, it's the original trading card game, Magic the Gathering. Oh, okay. Okay. There you go. I, I've been getting a lot back into to cards lately, but uh, mostly, uh, you know, some Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, and a bunch of basketball, a bunch of sports cards. I traded my Pokemon cards in for a signed Kobe Bryant card, which, by the way, I finally sold on eBay last week for like 500 bucks. Um, kept that one for a long time. So Cool. So, I mean, that's definitely, guys, uh, we'll probably have to do a, a podcast episode about the sports card industry right now because it's just it's just ridiculous. But anyways, uh, we digress. We're supposed to be talking about Amazon here. So what was your first kind of, uh, like, you know, how did you even discover the Amazon opportunity? What year? And then was it an email? Was it a ad? Or, or how did that even come about? So when I was in the one of my failed startups, I think it was failed startup number two, um, women's plus size clothing, they had an Amazon shop. And uh, they, they were one of the few companies that was taking Amazon, I don't know, semi-seriously. Um, they had access to beta advertising. We had an actual account rep back in those days when they had those. Um, and so I, I have about a decade of experience selling on Amazon now. And, and so I was one of the first early entrants into the space. Um, we, you know, selling clothing on Amazon back then, um, you didn't even have to have FBA uh, to do well. And so between that and my next couple of failed startups, I, I, I got a ton of hands-on Amazon experience, like straight up full ownership, going in and making the changes. Um, the, the second, the, the third failed startup I worked for was a kitchen equipment company. And the mistake that that company made was they bought a $5 million warehouse in Baltimore and they filled it with a bunch of their stuff. And then they just printed catalogs and expected to succeed. And so that didn't work. So they pivoted to marketplaces. Um, And this was back in the day when you could do like rice cooker bids for two cents a pop. And so 
when I, when I took that job, I turned on the advertising funnel and it was like seeing three X results in 30 days. <laughs> it's amazing. I miss those days. They were so much easier. Yeah. Um, and we had a big catalog, you know, 2000 SKUs. Um, so it was, it was rather easy to grow the Amazon business at that point. Um, we also flipped, uh, like dented fridges on eBay, uh, did a bunch of stuff. When did you just like, you know, have that moment where it's like, wow, you know, th this Amazon thing can, can just be, I don't need to worry about going back into the quote unquote real world, or I don't need to go back, uh, forget, you know, newscasting, this Amazon thing can absolutely sustain, uh, you know, the lifestyle I want to live. So I, I did a bunch of corporate work in the marketplace space and fell in love and I've been doing that ever since. And, and so I always knew that I wanted to do one of two things, right? Like I was either going to go CMO track corporate side or start my own business. So I started a wine glass brand and I, today I have the number one funny wine glass on Amazon. Um, and my, my brand name is Mobster, M-O-M-S-T-R, like a mom who stirs things in the kitchen. And, and, uh, I, you know, organically speaking, like you can find my social distancing wine glass in the top three or four search results organically for the term wine glass. And what I learned in, in all of these, all of these businesses is that there's tremendous opportunities to just simply show up and get, get some sales online and, and advertising and SEO and catalog management and design and all of these things that affect your traffic and conversion rates very much can be nurtured in such a way that you can grow a brand. Um, so, so I'm, I'm really excited about the success that we've, we've been able to do for, for Momster and, 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 and that brand right now is, you know, primitive in my opinion, I, I have so much more I can do with it. Um, cause right now I just literally, it's, it's like one single play where I'm running silly, funny wine glasses. Well, let's and talk about just that know. in general, first of all, because, you know, I, I think there's people out there and, and this is not necessarily wrong, but some people say, oh, you know, don't do breakable things or don't do glass. You know, if, if you're new on Amazon, it's just a nightmare for logistics and you're going to get a lot of bad reviews and, and, and stuff for, for breaking. So uh, obviously that hasn't you know been, been the case for you. So how were you able to do what some people say, hey, maybe this is not a good idea? I'll tell you what I did first where I failed. Um, I tried to start uh, a sweet heat hot sauce in a glass bottle. And these were like four and a half pound bottles. And when I shipped them into Amazon, I naively said, oh, I'll pay Amazon to do the prep. Right. And you and, and Bradley, I know like I know you're immediately like, you know, what's going to happen here. You've seen <laughs> it many times. Uh -huh. Amazon did the prep work. All right. They put it in the bubble wrap. They put on the sticker. And then what they do, they shipped it in padded envelopes. Blew my mind. I was like, how could Amazon be this incompetent, right? Like, why would they do that? Why would they take a four and a half pound bottle and ship it in padded envelopes? Mm -hmm. But like, and by, the, and by then, by the way, I, I was like seven, eight years of Amazon experience, like running into this problem. Like never would have comprehended that it could even happen. And, and then I'm and assuming, so, how, how did you figure it out? Did you just start getting bad reviews or a lot of returns and you start investigating what was going on or what? Well, the, the first, the first 10 or 15 orders, um, you know, I announced it on Facebook, all my friends and family ordered, and I started getting text messages and they sent me pictures and I was like seeing just completely broken hot sauce <laughs> everywhere. Right. Like yeah. just awful, awful situation. And, and I was, you know, I, I invested probably five grand into maybe six grand into the hot sauce business. And I immediately said, you know, I had, I, I should have boxed this. Um, <clears throat> my cogs are too high. 
and the logistics nightmare is, is a huge pain. And, and this is an unprofitable one that I'm going to mark up to a failure. And so for every three products um, that I launch, one does, one fails like completely, right? It's like complete garbage failure. And then one breaks even, does okay, probably still going to disco it. And then one does exceptionally well and pays for the difference on all three. So like me personally, I operate on the one, one of three ratio. I kind of use Momster as my testing ground and, and I, I run tons and tons of tests. So um, for example, my social distancing wine glass, it has a 42% conversion rate, which is extremely high. But when I would normally look at somebody's account and see that kind of conversion rate, I would say, hey, you must be underspending on ads. Right, like if you have a conversion rate that's too high, you're not not pushing enough traffic. Um, so, so I I really like the fact that there's there's a way to hit a niche audience, um, and also kind of pivot around and see um, see the various trends. So, you know, let's say a new episode of Star Wars comes out or WandaVision or whatever it might be, um, and and this is the way is now on my you know one of my wine glasses and it's selling out because. You can go to market really quickly, take advantage of the novelty, um, but, but there are not very many glasses that structurally stay long-term. So it's very, you, you know, each business has its advantages and perks and disadvantages. So the disadvantage in this world is you have to keep up with cultural phenomena and you got to structurally pivot to uh, some of those cultural norms. All right, guys, quick break in the episode for my BTS Bradley's 30 seconds. Here is my 30 second tip. And actually, this actually comes from an idea I saw that, that Stephen has. Now, in this episode, he's talking about how he has those social distancing wine glasses. And if you look on his uh, site on Amazon, he's got a lot of other kind of like pop culture things. So if you've got a product that you can turn around fairly quickly, you know, like it doesn't take four months to get here from China or something, make sure that you're keeping up with these trends and these phrases that you can possibly, you know, capitalize on, especially if you're selling merch by Amazon. You could use tools uh, such as Trendster and Helium 10 and then kind of like see what kind of phrases and keywords uh, have an increase lately on their uh, kind of popularity out there and then capitalize on that. Make a shirt that talks about social distancing or make a shirt that says virtual teaching fails or, or make a shirt that says this is the way, you know, whatever is, is hitting in pop culture or that's trending. And if you can make a fast turnaround on a product, do that. And then you can get some pretty good market share because of that. What kind of testing did you do to like get to the point where you're like, you know what? Uh, I'm comfortable with sending a thousand of these to Amazon because I know they're not going to break. A really tight box was the solution um, for this particular problem. Um, and, 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 and a typical bubble wrap situation in a tight box is the way to go. Um, but, but for other products, um, you know, Obviously, nobody wants to deal with foam or peanuts. Uh, there's too much, too many problems that that entails. Yeah. Um, so I think I think just being able to measure your product and tight it, fit it tight mm -hmm. is the way to go. Did you do like drop tests and things like that at the factory? Yes. yes. Drop testing is critical, right? So like, if it, I mean, three foot drop test is critical. Six foot though, if you really want to go that route. Um, and and yes, these pass the six foot drop test now. So that's Impressive. that's the win. So, so find, find your competitive advantage yeah. and when somebody doesn't want to so solve your problem and you can solve it, that's huge. I would imagine your packaging on this then, you know, that obviously is more than like your typical phone case or something like this, but, but it's definitely worth it for you to invest in that, you know, because you don't want these bad reviews. Have you seen competitors get killed with bad reviews because of breaking in your niche? 
not as not as bad as I would suspect. Um, I would say the high end elegant wine glass industry has much more of a problem because a lot of the elegant things that you would see in high end retail, they don't box well at all. Right. So like your Fortessas, your craft houses of the world, um, they they are not boxing for shipping. They are boxing for retail. And so um, one of the one of the things that people can do when they looked at entering a space is if if you see um, a deficiency in your competitors, right? And I, I always like to use the the yoga mat, right? So like if you go look at yoga mats online, you could look at the reviews and you could go down and see like what are the top two or three complaints that people always utter on yoga mats? And it's they stink, they stretch and they break, uh, and they're slippery. And so if you're going to make a yoga mat today, you would obviously solve for two or if not all three of those problems and go to market. Mm-hmm. Same thing that same thing with wine glasses. You need to you need a box really well. And if you're not willing to put in the logistics effort, it's not the niche for you. Okay. Okay. So, all right. So, I mean, that that's important because, you know, I, I probably am, have been one of the ones who have told people, hey, you know, I don't know about glass products, but hey, uh, Steven j- has definitely shown that it can be done and you can be you can be successful uh, in it. What, what was just of this glass brand? You know, I'm, I'm sure you do other, other things on Amazon, but for the glass brand, like what, what, what were your sales like in 2020? So I did 800 K in 2020, 833 K. Uh, and it would have been another 200 K in December if I didn't have to deal with stock restock mm. uh, limitations. Mm-hmm. Um, that was brutal. Um, I made the, I made the decision to, to focus on my Amazon guy as an agency um, instead of like opening up my own 3PL and warehouse, yeah. um, which, which is a tough decision to make as an entrepreneur and business owner. Um, but it was the right call. And, and so if, if I was, you know, back in July, I was like telling everybody, get your own warehouse, get your own 3PL. And, and, and I didn't have time to go execute it myself, but that's what I was telling everybody around me. And for those that had the ability to do more direct shipping themselves, um, they crushed it in December because people were running out of stock. People couldn't, couldn't ship in enough stuff to FBA. And so like, I think the concept of just-in-time supply chain management is totally dead. Uh, and I, you know, I think that you should have a year supply of your goods right now. Um, cause you never yeah. know what the next black swan event is going to be. Um, and, and you know, all the commodity goods prices are going up. So even if you invest in a year supply, you actually probably will come out ahead because your cogs are going to go up anyway. Um, even though you're paying for storage. Yeah. So that's kind of the advice I would say, focus on, um, you know, people are looking ahead, but, um, I plan to turn it into a $3 million company this year, um, with some pretty uh, aggressive expansion. Um, and, and that's, it's going to be a fun ride. We'll see what happens. Okay. Okay. Now, um, you know, recently you were a speaker on our helium tenant elite monthly, uh, uh, monthly workshops that we do. That's our high end mastermind group that we have. And you went on there with Kevin King. Now, you know, I don't want to give all the, 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 the secret tips and strategies you gave there, but just one thing in general, I was hoping we can talk about that. I found interesting is your, your strategy about doing your, your kind of like, uh, I guess what you would call there is another word that not many people use is Amazon SEO. You know, people say, Oh, there's keyword research, there's listing optimization, but, but all of these work together. I mean, the whole purpose is, is, you know, basically SEO on Amazon, but, but you do things in phases. Can you just talk in general about some of this strategy uh, of how you do this in phases? Because I haven't really heard anybody else talk about it like this. I, I think I'm the first one on the market to mention like how you can structurally dissect the phasing of SEO and search engine optimization. Um, first of all, I, I'm a huge Helium 10 fan, um, and and I got to say, Bradley, this is a this has been a, a couple year dream to 
you know, be on your podcast. So, um, I hope, I hope, uh, I hope, you know, that a lot of people very much follow what you're doing and what you're building and, um, helium pen as a product, uh, is a phenomenal software and I'm not being paid to say this. Um, I, f- I found you guys naturally. I, everybody I know uses you, everybody I, I try and, and share Intel with uses you. All of our SEO phases and practices are based on Helium 10 software, hundred percent of the way. Um, and, and awesome. some of the things that you guys would come out with would add to our phases, right? Like, like Frankenstein is your probably most underutilized tool that everybody needs to go and take a second look at, right? Like I could not believe how many accounts I would go into and I would see, you know, commas, I'd see duplicate words and, and, and parsing and, and issues yeah. on the back end of the SEO and, and Frankenstein with one button click solves all of that. <laughs> and, and it even includes Spanish, which is an underrated thing, right? So like if, if you're looking for your five second hack today, listening to this pod, it's go take your top three competitor ASINs, throw them into Frankenstein, click a button and then compare the top 250 characters against your 250 characters on your search term field and see what needs to be improved. Mm-hmm. Um, but from a high level, three phases of SEO. Phase one is all about indexing. Phase two is, and, and all the best practices included in that. Phase two is about incremental indexing. And I like to call it the pink word update, also the Dennis Rodman update. And that's because the brand analytics dashboard tells you which words are already in your title and your bullets, and you can pull them out of your search terms. And we do it this way because in testing, we found that including the title stuff in the search term field actually has a greater indexing impact in the first 30 days. Mm-hmm. And so we work on it during phase two to update it at a later point mm-hmm. for incremental indexing. And finally, phase three, we call it the strike zone update. And that's where words that are in rank 20 through 50, use Cerebro to see what your keyword rankings are in 20 through 50, run a filter to do that. You then would throw out phase one, two strategy in favor of phase three and go in and, and target all of your fields your search term field, your title, your bullets, your A-plus content, and the A-plus um, alt text, which Amazon claims isn't indexed, but totally is, and do all of your search terms focused on your strike zone to matriculate them to the top of page one. Okay. So that's kind of the, 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 the two-minute summary of, of a great present, uh, a great opportunity to, to look at SEO. And, and, if, and if you guys haven't signed up for Helium 10 Elite, you totally need to, so you can get access to that presentation, Kafka. Cool, cool. Now, a couple things I wanted to kind of uh, focus in on there is, first of all, you know, I'm not sure how if you ever heard that podcast I did about the Maldives honeymoon, but that's very. I did. Okay, cool. That's very much a yeah. part of it about the title of how important the title is, uh, especially uh, in the beginning. Now, here's a question I have, and I think a lot of people have this similar question: is is they understand that you know, with time, you know, buyer behavior changes, and so of course you got to keep your listing up with the times. But a lot of people are reluctant to change, you know, their listings. So like, let's just say that, hey, I've got this keyword, you know, a gothic coffin shelf and boom, you know, I'm crushing it. I'm like at the top of page one. Now, of course, you don't want to take gothic coffin shelf completely out of your listing because, you know, you don't, you don't want to be for if, if it, if it's possible that you might be de-indexed or something, but you're saying that if you like, let's say it's in phrase form, like two or three times in your listing, are you saying you would maybe take it even out of the title, you know, as long as it's somewhere in the bullet points or description and then try another keyword and you're not going to have a negative impact like in your ranking for that, that original keyword. Every time I've tested this, anything you remove 98% Mm -hmm. of the time, it retains its rankings. Cool. And that's because, um, you know, if you look at the A9 update on the search term uh, allocation, as long as you're converting on keywords, you're going to retain your rankings. 
Mm-hmm. And there's all kinds of things that can muck up your rankings and listing inks and whatever else and suppressions, man alive, hidden suppressions are the craziest thing ever. Um, that's, by the way, I think that's what Helium 10 needs to develop next is how to check for hidden suppressions. Um, and, and that's when Amazon suppresses your listing without telling you, and there's no alert for it. Um, but, but in any case, um, obviously I wouldn't take out the term coffin shelf out of your title. Like, would never sure, do that. Sure. But, but if you Not look your at main the, keyword, in other words. yeah, yeah. But if you look at your other, your other words, right. So wall hanging, Gothic room decor, removable shelves, display for spooky home decorations. Like I'm leading, reading one of the, one of the listings right now. Okay. Um, any one of those phrases could be replaced. You could change spooky home decoration with any other iteration and, and rotating your title copy is a great opportunity to increase your rankings on other phrases that you've under tapped on. Um, I did a, I did a coaching session with somebody who was selling, um, um, uh, you know, what, what, what you would use in a, in a kitchen, that's a flame lighter. Um, and, and you would use it to, to make cream brulee, right? Like a really fancy cook chef thing and sell for 20 bucks. And, and when we looked at the data um, from the brand analytics dashboard, I thought I was going to see 70% women buying this thing. And it was completely opposite. Mm-hmm. It was 70% men. And I said, that's really weird. So I went and started looking at all of the competitor listings, to try and figure out like, why are men buying this item? And it turns out um, on one of the competitors listings, there was a photo of a guy lighting a cigar. And it hit me and I was like, oh my gosh, the men are buying this because they want to impress the ladies. Mm-hmm. They're, they're single, they're, you know, maybe they're divorced and they're trying to show their cooking game and they pull out the lighter and it's just really cool, right? And then they also at the same time want to buy it because they're going to smoke a cigar, right? Like those are the kinds of things that you can gain from looking at data that you wouldn't normally understand. And so there's so many data points um, from brand analytics dashboard to the Helium 10 Cerebro and every other tool that's available. That people just need to, people need to not be static. They need to constantly iterate. Change your photos, change your title. Your A plus content can be A B tested now. Your your title can be A B tested, and and in fact, even just like a week ago, they rolled out the ability to A B test a main photo, like crazy. Yeah. Okay. So so then, like instead of taking like coffin shelf out of the title, like if you were ranking high for gothic coffin shelf, and let's just say that rustic coffin shelf was something that you weren't ranking high for, would you be okay with just in the title replacing gothic with rustic? Absolutely. Okay. But and, then do and, you and get I, that juice though? Because, you know, like this is yes. by, by definition is a six to eight month old listing. Um, I think you do. I think you still get juice. I've shown it with like the egg tray, which is like a year old, but you still can get some bumps by adding it to the title, even after the quote unquote honeymoon period. Right. I, so I, I've tested this repeatedly. It completely is possible to okay. gain new indexing as well as increased rankings with no external traffic ploys. With no increase in PPC, though, you should do the PPC on any, any SEO terms you're trying to do in phase three, um, but you could totally do that. So maybe instead of going from Gothic shelf, maybe you test Goth shelf, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Where, you know, maybe you're in rank 10 for that and you're rank one for Gothic. And so you, you shorten it down to try and get the exact match to get the conversion on it. Okay. Now, along those same lines, you know, a few minutes ago, you mentioned uh, about how, you know, one of your phases, you're talking about, hey, let, let's take these keywords where I'm on page one, but maybe the middle or bottom and try and and get them up. Well, what's your strategy on that though? Like how, how do you get them up? Are, are you just talking about PPC, like increasing your bids so that you show up at the top of the page or or do you have other strategies on, on how you can get those middle to bottom page one keywords to the top? So if we were having this conversation two years ago, the, the number one play would be PPC, mm-hmm. right? But then the A9 search algorithm update hit um, and PPC went from, I don't know, 25% factor down to like a 6% factor. 
And so because of that, the number, number one and number two search factors um, are organic traffic and organic conversion. And so um, you, 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 really, you really don't have as much capacity for that any, any, anymore. Um, you should still do the PPC because it, if, if you're not indexed for a word, it's the fastest way to index for a word beyond just listing the, the phrase exact match on the listing um, and driving a conversion to it. But, but, in, but in any case, um, the things that I would change in phase three, so let's say you're ranked for two, three, 4,000 keywords, right? You're, you're indexed for everything you possibly could imagine. But for whatever reason, there's a segment of keywords, maybe there's 100 keywords on this particular iteration of phrasing um, that you're not ranking well on, right? So, you know, taking the coffin, coffin angle, it, maybe, maybe there's a series of spooky keywords that you're not, you're not uh, matriculated on. And what I mean by matriculated is top of page one. Okay. So, so you would then redo all of your content focused on that angle, idle, bullets, A plus content, search term field all of the um, other backend keyword fields as well, target audience, et cetera, as well as the alt text of your photos and, and, and restructure everything so you have multiple instances of every combination of spooky. So mention, remember how I said 100 keywords in the spooky category, right? So every iteration exact match of those 100 iterations. So it's not just the same word over and over again. It's, it's a nuance uh, word over and over again. Um, and then in the back end of search terms, throw in the, the misspelling of spooky, although I'm hearing conflicting theories on whether misspellings are needed anymore. Uh, and then alt text as well. Another great place to put Spanish or misspellings. Okay, cool. Now, what, what about, you know, how, how the, there seems to be a, a diminishing number of listings that have the subject matter, you know, subject matter was, was a great way to almost double your, your backend search terms. Cause you usually get five rows of 50, you know, so that you get another 250 characters you can use, but then more and more categories. I mean, actually, you know, Europe has never had subject matter if I'm not mistaken, but then even in the USA, more and more categories, you know, don't have subject matter. So in cases like that, it's just a matter of, man, you really got to make sure that your, your 250 characters or 249, whatever, in your search terms are, are, are that more valuable or have you found another, any other fields that might get indexed on the back end? I, I think any other fields that I haven't mentioned have a substantially less impact, but there, there are obviously opportunities in, in your attributes to always plug, um, plug those opportunities. Uh, but, but I would, yeah, so I, I agree with you, right? Like seeing most categories lose some of those fields, um, it's less opportunity for you, but to be honest, Amazon deployed those in a wrong way. So if I were going to sell a wristband that has, when you click on the button, it, it display, it dispenses hand sanitizer, right? Okay. So if, if I was to do that, there's two target demographics potentially, right? There's the mom and then there's the kid. Well, if I were you selling said item, I would have two listings, one for the kid and one for the mom. Do not mix them up. And you should polarize your target demographics so that, that the secondary images are all about one target demographic. I think this is the most fundamental number one mistake made by marketers is they try and be too inclusive and they try and show how, how many different ways an item can be used. And what they do by doing that is they actually push away and they make a smaller tent and they, they, they actually push away the target demographics. So if you're trying to organically rank for a particular phrase like spooky, then you have to go all in. Photos, titles, text, A plus content, everything needs to be all in to convert on that phrase. And, and that's, I think, what a lot of people aren't willing to do, 
right? They, they get their nice infographics in place and they're like, oh, I'm good now, right? And they move on, right? It'd be like the same thing of, of setting up a $10,000 PPC campaign and then saying, I'm never going to make bid adjustments. Mm. Everybody needs to constantly iterate their Amazon listings, even if you're number one in the space. Now, most people number one in the space, they're uncomfortable, right? Like, I don't want to mess with this. This, this thing's going well. And I, I, would, I would get that. That's a legitimate argument. But most of us are not number one. That's why we're listening to the podcast. That's why we're trying to go out and do things. And the question is just like operationally priorities, right? Like, what do you focus on? Um, so, so I think people need to focus on their target demographics to increase their organic rankings. Okay, cool, cool. So, I mean, another reason that, hey, guys, brand analytics is very important because, you know, brand analytics isn't just about, you know, finding your search terms and top click things, but you also got some very valuable data inside your brand analytics because, you know, the, the, the target demographic that might be buying your product might be different than what you personally imagine. So always rely on the data, not your own intuition there. Any last, like, uh, how about, uh, you know, before we get to your 30 second tip, how about like, uh, you know, you, you mentioned use helium 10 a lot. So what's a, a helium 10 strategy that you use that you don't think is that mainstream? I, I really think the Frankenstein one is the one that's most underutilized because of the push button aspect of looking three ASINs and clicking the button. And then you go in there and you can see the, the top iterated keywords and then structurally start deleting those phrases until you're down to the list that you're looking for. Okay. Um, so, so I, I know that's a common one. Mm -hmm. I know that Frankenstein's been out a while. It's not sexy, but it honestly is the most underutilized helium tool in my opinion. Cool. Like it. All right. Now uh, we have this part of the show we call the, or the TST 30 second tip. So you've been giving us a lot of strategies throughout this episode, but what's something you haven't mentioned yet? That's uh, highly actionable, pretty unique that you can say in hopefully 30 seconds or less. So alt text keywords have a 100 um, keywords or characters per photo. And Amazon claims they do not index the alt text. And I'm telling you, they totally do. Go put Spanish in one photo, and I guarantee you, you will index within 10 days for Spanish. So, and then use that, use that methodology. Go chock full all of your alt text. You got more than one photo in, all, in, in A plus content. You got tens to work on. So lots of thousands of keywords you can stuff in there. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, uh, if people want to reach out to you more, uh, you know, mention podcasts, you mentioned agency and different things. Like what are the ways that people can find you on the interwebs? So we have more than 600 videos on YouTube with all things Amazon, how to troubleshoot any problem imaginable from pesticides, gatings, to listing yanks, to how to grow sales and everything. You can find us at youtube.com slash myamazonguy. Um, if you want to reach out to me directly, email podcast at myamazonguy.com for a full service agency for all things traffic and conversion to grow sales faster on Amazon. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. And if I had your, uh, one of your wine glasses, I would just, you know, raise a toast to you and, and I wish you the <laughs> success you. of the rest of this year. I appreciate it. Right back at you, Bradley. All right. See you later.